You're listening to Through the Darkness. I'm Chris Correa, and today I am delighted to introduce a dear friend as our guest contributor today. Paula Koki is a nurse in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she's one of my wittiest and most thought-provoking friends that I have. The past few years have led Paula on this journey to better understand herself and her needs, fully living into this rediscovery process. Something I think that so many of us need guidance on right now is what inspired this essay she wrote entitled Paula Koki on the path to liberation. I hope you enjoy. I've been taller than my mom since the third grade. As a child, I went through a year's worth of testing to determine whether my unconventional growth was due to a brain tumor or another form of ailment. Nope, it was just the way I was, baby. But in those years would be the first time I would ever question myself, my body, my sense of acceptability. This was also the beginning of my body being an open season for others. At 13, I was asked why my breasts were so big, and then denied the under-16 option to bowl with the help of railings because no 13-year-old had boobs that big. Countless boys, when paired up with me for mandatory PE, dance, openly and loudly wished they were paired with a smaller, less tall, less heavy girl. In South Africa, I went to a school where black girls were not allowed to wear our hair naturally because it was too unruly, not neat enough. At the small missionary school I attended in Cameroon, I was only allowed to ballroom dance. The hip-shaking found in other dances, incidentally, those of Cameroon's culture, was sinful and not pleasing to God. Evidently, from an early age, my unnaturally advanced body garnered attention from literally everyone, which caused me to shrink myself physically, figuratively, to not call attention. My parents are heroes, beautiful reflections of the image of God. The work they've done and continue to do has empowered so many, lifting people out of poverty, creating new necessary systems, as well as feeding and housing many. They have an incredible work ethic as well as their unfailing and admirable faith, always putting others before themselves. Live your life in service to God and others. That was always modeled to me, consciously or unconsciously. To whom much is given, much is required. As someone so fortunate, blessed in so many ways, I was to turn around and be a blessing to others. My child brain internalized these messages to mean that my hurts, values, and desires were trivial compared to the great need out there. So, I learned to focus on others' physical, emotional, and spiritual needs while actively keeping a tight lid on my own internal landscape. Two other factors reinforce the thought pattern. First, I am naturally very attuned to others' emotional and mental states. Second, my missionary school, still near and dear to my heart, but flawed like all things human, taught me to seek more of God, less of me. I still deeply desire for God to be at the center of my life. However, the way many churches preach the conditioning I lived out, squashing my needs and personality because I feared my selfish, sinful core, is harmful. Their expectations were incongruent with a deeply personal, 
penitent and yet liberating relationship I believe God calls us to. Regardless, these factors made it so my internal scaffolding, what I needed to be able to recognize, process, claim, and yes, even honor my emotions, was insufficient. I could not fully understand this Paolo Josephine Coquin Dombo girl. Did not know how to. Although I experienced her all her feelings and values, they were also unexamined and foreign to me. A recurring theme kept presenting itself. I was so frequently at the mercy of others' standards, expectation, criticism, and assault that I was never asked or questioned for myself the fundamentals of my life, what I wanted, who I was, and what I thought, expected, and valued. So naturally, not having this muscle to exercise, I centered others before centering myself. I internalized others' stories, letting their narratives take the driver's seat. Those narratives were debilitating and self-deprecating and would take years to unlearn. It is with all this unclaimed baggage that I showed up to Calvin College for my undergraduate career and on my own, for the first time, waded through the deep and murky waters of depression. I wasn't in tune with my emotions, so I did not name or process my depressive seasons until I was well past them. When I look back at those years, filled with so much joy and community, yet so much pain and confusion, I feel bad for my past self. She carried so much alone, with no idea how to process it or reach out. She was trapped. What's more, because she was so good at putting on a show, not very many people knew the extent to which I was struggling. I kept struggling until I met a good friend, one who listened to me and sheltered me, loving me as her own pretty much since the day I met her. She has continually acted as a mirror for me by echoing what she would hear from me, encouraging me to practice grace without judgment, and welcoming me to learn for myself. She suggested I join a mindfulness group where I learned and grew so much to see myself, to name, claim, and acknowledge my feelings and emotions. Truly, she changed my life, teaching me to give myself permission to be my full self and to know that I was enough. Not just enough, I was cherished as were the emotions I carried. It's not a groundbreaking discovery, but it made such a difference in the person I was becoming and continue to be. Part of claiming my identity was remembering and reclaiming my love for movement and competition. The Public Run, an online running club utilizing running as a container to rewrite the stories we tell ourselves, helped me return there. We identified general and athletic metrics in our lives to evaluate whether they were useful to our running practices or the people we were now. We used mantras, meditation walks, and honest commitments to listen to our bodies, our values, and our lives to build new metrics for ourselves. Be honest and be gracious with ourselves, and always, always begin again as needed. These metrics gave me more language and tools to really learn to center myself in my own life. Over three months, we relearned and committed to these three truths. I know myself. I trust myself. I enjoy myself. I know myself. In the public run, the beginning of a journey towards embodiment started with an inventory. We had to identify old metrics we'd been living by, outside voices that had shaped us, as well as the ways we silenced ourselves and our bodies. From there, we were asked to practice radical honesty and identify how outside pressures shape our identity and self-perception. In one of the exercises, I remember having to uncover some of my core beliefs by journaling about what I thought about myself as I was running 
free writing style. I was prompted to revisit these sentences and then ask three separate times, what do I really mean when I think this? With each subsequent answer, I finally got to the heart of my original intentions. More often than not, for me, it came down to a feeling inadequate. I'm not good at or for anything. It is scary to realize just how little regard you have for yourself and how unconsciously pervasive negative thought patterns can be in your life. I began to pull out threads of my life to unravel what is and how it was shaped by what was. This reflection helped me put to bed what no longer fit so I could fully step into where I currently stood. Doing so also helped me begin to heal my gaze on myself and my life. Although several strategies helped me do so, the most powerful was practice and repetition. What you focus on, you will improve. And the public run helped us practice self-acceptance and embodiment daily. We used the tool of daily mantras. This is my body. This is my home. My value does not increase or decrease the closer I am to my context appraisal. I am strong. I am capable. I have the strength to adjust, to honor my body, my energy, my voice. We were practicing replacing old voices with newer, empowering ones. We were rewriting our stories. This process was like getting to know an old acquaintance. The shared history you have can be both beautiful and painfully awkward, making the current get-to-know-you process clumsy, awkward, and sometimes painful. And yet, it's so rewarding. For the first time in a really long time, if not ever, I felt like I knew myself and lived with that fact as a starting point. Doing so didn't mean I was abruptly in love with myself, but I did know myself and began to put myself first. The public run had gotten in my head, and I heard its question daily. What would change for you if you started to consider your thoughts, feelings, experiences, and agency as your primary concern? And the answer is everything. I'm still unable to articulate it entirely but I seek to live it out very deeply in my body. I trust myself. This trust was a critical turning point. I've grown up in so many different countries and around so many perspectives, politically conservative, politically liberal, devout, non-practicing, fundamentalist, irreligious. The people I've learned from, love, and treasure from context to context have viewed things very differently. Because I historically centered others before myself, my environment held a powerful sway on my beliefs and perspectives. And part of this tendency was and is natural. But somewhere along the line, I lost trust in my ability to know and uphold core beliefs and values. I'm still not going to be the first person in the room to think I hold the capital T truth. But I learned to live in the in-between, holding things in tension. I very much like that about myself now. But through this process, I could unpack my worldviews and opinions. Honestly, I was met with more questions than answers, and the angst that came with them. However, they were my questions and my voice, long overdue reckonings. My world is not black and white. I hope it will never be. But I trust that I will always ask the questions, always be empathetic to diverse perspectives, always look for the teachers, always act in ways that are just, fair, and loving and correct myself when I don't. At this moment in time, those things matter to me more than having the most knowledge or the best action. I trust myself. I trust that I will continue to grow, 
change, learn and unlearn, and most importantly, I trust God's sovereignty, even if I don't always like it. I enjoy myself. Here's where we've landed, people. We've gotten past no and trust and are now at enjoy. Granted, I've backtracked in the last month and have had to recenter myself at the wheel once again. But here's another beautiful thing that Public Run taught me. I can always begin again. And so I have. While still working on this imperfect and nonlinear progress, I have begun to enjoy myself immensely. What happens when you just accept yourself and free up mental space instead of finding ways to achieve society's norms? You begin to find things you genuinely enjoy about yourself and invest more deeply in your vocation and purpose, your passions and interests. So here's me. I'm a fun and hilarious person. I have great adventure ideas. I'm active and enjoy time outside. And I think I have a quieting and grounding effect on people. Most importantly, though, I can increase others' empathy for their fellow humans to celebrate and teach others to celebrate one another more. This ability is something I love and so thoroughly enjoy about myself. In so doing, I mirror the Christ I believe in, in Christ's unconditional and redeeming love. Although being a good servant of Christ, as defined by evangelical Christianity, was very important to me growing up, I always felt like I fell short. But I believe in an amazing God, one who knit me and knows me deeply. God uses my personality, passions, weakness, and emotions for God's purposes, one of which is to set others free. I don't have to fight myself anymore. I am cherished, worthy, and purpose. Did I mention fun, too? You've now read through me unpacking my journey up to this point, a journey that has been rife with identity struggles, disembodiment, and deep, deep emotional heartache. Introspection, radical honesty, kindness, and grace towards myself have brought me to this, sitting in the knowledge that my full self is worth centering. Some lyrics from a favorite song of mine conclude, To know and love ourselves, and others well, is the most difficult and meaningful work we'll ever do. That is truth. You are worth centering. You, who is black. You, who identifies as queer. You, who has been deeply hurt and rejected. You, who currently is thriving. You, who may disagree with some of the views expressed in this piece. God made you. Christ came to save you. You are so loved, so important, so necessary to this world, just as you are. Thanks for listening, friends. And if you're not already, be sure to follow Through the Darkness on Spotify to stay up to date whenever new segments are released. You can also follow our online journal at chriskaringle at wordpress.com. Take care, friends.